So would you stand with me as we read the word today? We are looking in the book of Matthew, chapter 27, and beginning with verse 15. Now, at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting in the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the chief priest and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas, and destroy Jesus. Then the governor again said to them, Which of the two of them, them do you wish me to release? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called the Christ? They all said, Let him be crucified. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the cross. We thank you, Father, for what it re represents to us in our life, the redemption of our souls and a pathway to know you. We pray, Lord God, that as we hear this message about the cross today, that it would grow of even greater value to us in our hearts, Lord God, that our understanding of the sacrifice that was made, Father, would be deeper and would be more appreciated. We pray your blessing on our services today. We pray, God, that you would bless Pastor as he shares today. Anoint his words and let our hearts be ready to hear what you have to say to us. And we will thank you for this, God, as we celebrate who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. The cross. We have them in all sizes. We have little itty-bitty ones that people wear as earrings. I've seen them on babies as earrings. We have great big ones like we have outside, 100 foot tall. I just read uh, this week about a, uh, a place down in Texas where they're building the biggest cross uh, in America, it'll be 198 feet tall. Yeah. We have crosses made out of almost everything. I've seen plastic crosses. I've seen wooden crosses like we have here today. I've seen crosses made out of steel. I've seen crosses made out of silver and crosses made out of gold and jewels. Crosses embedded with jewels. We write songs about the cross. At the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light. And the burden of my heart rolled away. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross. The emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. He was nailed to the cross for me. He was nailed to the cross for me. On the cross crucified, for me he died. He was nailed to the cross for me.
Today, dozens of new songs are being written about the cross. Hundreds in the past have been written about the cross and about his suffering on our behalf, paying the price for us. We sang some of those songs today. Uh, We wear crosses. How many of you today have a cross on? Yeah. We wear crosses. We hang crosses on the walls of our home. We have pictures of crosses that we put on our Facebook pages or we put up in our houses. We put crosses on our T-shirts. Well, some people even get them tattooed onto their bodies. If you ever saw the movie Forrest Gump where Bub is telling him all the way, all the different ways you can make shrimp, we could use the same, we could have the same scene telling people about the cross and all the conversations we could have about the ways we display the cross. Now, you may find it interesting to note that nowhere in the Bible do we find a passage that tells us that we should use the cross in any of these ways. It never commands us to put an emblem of the cross any place. It doesn't even give any hint that we should put an emblem of the cross up on our churches. In fact, if you're really traditional and you really want to go back in history to the earliest days of the church, there's absolutely no evidence that the, that the early church ever used the cross for any purpose. The symbol they used was a, a symbol of love. It wasn't the symbol of the cross. Archaeologists have not found any Christian use of the symbol of the cross until the time of Constantine, almost three centuries after Jesus was crucified on the cross. Now, we can only speculate about what the discussion was like as a new generation of Christians began to use the cross as a symbol in their worship settings and how the older generation of Christians who had never seen it used that way, how they felt about that. But today, we celebrate the cross. See, you begin to wonder why it, it took so long. See, the, the cross was a, a tool of execution. As far as I know, it's the only tool of execution that we've ever turned into a piece of jewelry or that we've ever taken to hang on our walls as a decoration. I've never gone into somebody's house or, or looked on somebody's lit neck and them have a little electric chair hanging around their neck. Never gone in and see a little hangman scaffold built someplace and standing up in their home. I've never, I've never walked in and see, seen somebody with a little guillotine on, the, on their lapel. And yet here it is. A, a tool of execution, the cross. We put it up on our wall and we put it outside of our church buildings and we wear it around our neck and we put it on our lapel pins and we celebrate the cross. Why did it take so long to become a symbol for the church? Remember, the cross was more than just a tool of execution. There were many ways the Romans could kill you if they wanted to kill you. Paul 
They beheaded Paul. James was killed with a, with a sword, run through with a sword. We know from history that many people, they just forced them to take poison. They were known for their many forms of capital punishment. The Jews, they were known for stoning people. Even at times, throwing them off of a cliff like they tried to do to Jesus at one point in time. But the cross, it was, it was more than simple execution. The cross was torture. Slow death, pain-filled death. Some would, they say, would hang on the cross alive for days. Jesus six hours before he gave up his spirit. The most common cause of death on the cross was asphyxiation as, as their, the weight of their body would pull and it would become harder and harder for them to breathe and they would find themselves in this torturous place where they would try to push up with their feet on that nail embedded in their, their feet, push up on it to grasp, gasp for a, a breath of air and then they would relax back into it and, and probably many times just wanting to die but the body as it, as it does trying to cling to life forcing them again and again until they could no longer breathe and they would die from the inability to take another breath and the strength to take another breath. See, the cross was more than just a way of killing people, a lot of easier ways to kill people. It was a form of intimidation. A Roman citizen by law could not be crucified. It was meant for enemies of the state. The cross was meant to send a message. Don't mess with us. This is your end. For the rebel, it was a symbol of failure. You cannot overcome the enemy if you or the empire. If you rebel against us, you will fail, and this will be your end. It was a form of humiliation. Even, even today, our most graphic depictions of the crucifixion fall short in this category. Because, see, when they would take you to the cross, beaten many times, they didn't just hang you. They stripped you naked and hung you on a cross naked to die before the world. In Jesus' case, gambling for his clothes as he died. It was gruesome. It was bloody. It was frightening. It was filled with horror. The arms would be stretched out and pulled hard, many times pulling them out of socket, nails driven right through the wrists, usually with some rope tied around, around them to hold them in place. The feet would be pierced and they'd be lifted up to hang and to die. And in Jesus' case, he had been flogged until the flesh had been ripped off of his back, barely recognizable by the time they were done with him. And a crown of thorns roughly pushed down a 
up onto his head, bloody, torn, the body simply trying to hang on to life while knowing in your mind the whole time it is hopeless, you are going to die, and you're going to suffer every moment that you have left upon this earth. An agony. <laughs> and yet we don't see it that way today. We don't see the cross as a symbol of failure. We don't see the cross as a symbol of humiliation. We don't even see the cross as a symbol of intimidation. No, when we look upon the cross today, it's not even a symbol of death. It's a symbol of love. It's a symbol of life. It's a symbol that's been turned into a symbol of hope. Thousands upon thousands of people died upon the cross. And if that was it, we would not see any crosses in our lives today. But Jesus died on the cross. And he did more than anyone else ever did on the cross. Jesus performed an act of love on the cross. Giving himself willingly for you and for me. And we think, why? Why, why the cross? Why, why did this have to happen? Why did God do this? Why did he allow this to take place? Have you ever been in a place where, uh, where your character came into conflict with itself? had a way that you felt about things and you had a, a nature that you felt about things and, and yet circumstances arose and, and you came into conflict. Maybe, maybe it was with a bully. You don't want to cower before the bully, but the bully's bigger than you, stronger than you, and there's nobody around to protect you. Or maybe it's in the face of a, of a crowd and the, the words and the actions of a group of people who are saying something that is negative or harmful to others and and, and, and you don't want to go along with what they're saying is painful. It may even be about a friend, but for the sake of peace and for the sake of the moment, it's just better to let it go. Yet afterwards, you feel dirty or you feel ashamed. But what could you really do? Have you ever faced temptation of life of purity? He loves me, or she loves me, and I love her. And we're alone. I know we're not married yet. We're getting married soon. We're getting married soon. Our wedding day's just ahead. What we do right now, it's okay. God understands. Yet afterwards, you feel ashamed. You know your character has been surrendered. You love your spouse, you love your kids, and you want to treat them with love, but you've had a rough day. You really want things to go to your way, and when you get home that night, instead of things going your way, they kind of rub you wrong, and the wrong things are said, and wrong things happen, and before you know it, you snap. The character of your love is broken. God is great because his character is pure. 
See, God is ruled by one thing. There's only one thing that rules God. God's not ruled by man's desires. God's not ruled by the crowd. God's ruled by his character. His character dictates his actions. Who he is is pure at all times. The laws of his own character direct him and guide him and become who he is to all of us. And and these things do not come into conflict. He is honest all the time. He never surrenders his honesty. He is faithful all the time. He is love all the time. He is, he is completely and totally just. He is holy. It's good news for us because we can count on that. We can count on his word being true. We can count on his love being true. We can count on his nature being true. We can put our faith in the nature and the character of God. He doesn't have a bad day. He doesn't fall into any fear of people or any group of beings. He doesn't doesn't surrender or have an issue with lust. He treats all men with equity. We can count on God. We can count on his consistency. His word is his word, and it will be true. Amen? Amen? There was only one time. There's only been one time where the character of God has come into conflict with itself. God's character came into conflict with itself over mankind. Man, us, you and me, who God created, who God loved, who God desired great things for and to walk in fellowship with, had rebelled. We'd fallen into sin. God's holiness, God's purity demands separation from the unholy. Demands separation from it. Not just for a day, not just for an hour, but for all time, for all eternity. It demands separation from that which is broken. Separation for all time. And yet God's love demands grace. Demands mercy. And now the holiness of God and the love of God come into conflict To simply ignore holiness and respond in love destroys part of the character of God. Suddenly his holiness isn't a pure aspect of who he is any longer. He's now overlooked his holiness and surrendered his holiness to be a part of that and to ignore that which is impure. To simply ignore love and to do what is just, to give us what we truly deserved as a broken and unholy people, well, that destroys the love of God. That destroys who he is as a loving 
as a loving God. So to simply ignore holiness and respond in love destroys the character of God. To simply ignore love and to do what is just destroys the character of God. They are in conflict with each other. How could God remain true? How could he go forward and not betray his character? The impure, the guilty could not make itself pure again. You can't take a cup of impure water and pour it back and forth into itself and it become pure. The water's impure. So how could healing come? How could holiness be satisfied? How could justice be answered? How could love be applied? The pure, the innocent, the eternal, would have to pay the price for the guilty. A way of covering would have to be made. Man could not do that for himself, no matter how hard he worked. Man could not purify his own purity, no matter what effort he put in. Something had to intervene. No. The love of God had to be applied, not simply offered, not simply given. Love had to take action. Love had to do something for justice to be answered, for the price of sin to be paid. Love had to act in our behalf. We're all under the curse because of our sin. We are all separated from God because of our sin. We are all broken and impure and incapable of standing before a holy God because of our sin. And the wrath of God is ours because of sin. It's the demand of his very nature and purity. The cross. The cross is the answer to God's character. For holiness to be satisfied, the impurity of sin had to be covered and purified. God's love had to act. Paul explains it this way in Galatians chapter 3. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is, any, is everyone who is hanged on a tree. There were many ways they could have killed Jesus. Merciful ways, quick ways. But listen, the Jews did not cry out, simply cry out, kill him. The Jews didn't simply cry out, stone him. The Jews didn't cry out, behead him. The people in that crowd didn't cry out, didn't cry out, poison him. No, those people who despised crucifixion, who saw it from the Old Testament times as anyone who died there, it was a curse. They cried out, crucify him. Crucify him. A people who knew it to be, who had seen the terror of it, seen the horror of it, knew the intimidation of it, knew the brokenness of it. 
knew the curse of it. See, he had to take the place of the cursed to answer the debt of the curse. When we see the cross in all the forms that we have it in, we put earrings in, put T-shirts on, put lapel pins in or hang it around our neck. When we take the cross and put it up on our walls, we should be careful to see all of it. We should see the seriousness of sin. The cross is a depiction, the suffering, the brokenness of the seriousness of sin. The cross is a picture of how far we are from God. We should see the horror of the, of the consequences of life without God. The cross should redefine our vision of our, you know, our pet sins. The ones that we kind of overlook and excuse away and live with and shut out and go ahead and do anyway. And think about the mercy of God. We should remember the price of that mercy. We should remember the cost of that mercy. And we should remember that it was that sin that drove a loving God to send his son to take the curse upon himself. We should be careful when we see the cross. We should see the justice of God when we look at the cross. How truly just he is. How truly holy God is when we look upon the cross. And we should be careful that we stay covered with the blood in, in, in obedience to the Son. For someday we will stand before that holy God. Someday we will stand before that just God. And our only hope is what was done for us at the cross. We're not going to work our way into heaven. We're not going to be good enough to get there. We should sing about it. We should talk about it. We should wear it and celebrate it. The cross sets us free. The work that Jesus did there frees our lives. And when we see the cross, we should think about the character of God that we can count on in every moment. That when the enemy whispers a lie to us, when the enemy tells us we are of no value or we are of no purpose or, or our life is at an end and is no good, we should remember God's promises are true. He will be consistent to his character. He will offer mercy to those who cry out to mercy. He will offer deliverance to those who cry out for deliverance. God's word will be true. The cross speaks to the character of God. And when we think about living life our own way, we should look at the cross and see the love of God. 
a God who wants the best for us, a God who desires the chief good for us, the God who wants to walk in communion with us, the God who wants to know us every day and to be known by us every day, a God who wants to be present and involved in our lives. We should look at the cross and remember there's a loving God that sent his son so I can walk in communion with him. Romans chapter 10. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, listen, listen to God's word. You will be saved for with the heart one believes and is justified the justifier has moved for us on the cross and to the one who believes he is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved for the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame amen give the Lord a clap offering for that Christ answered the character and nature of God so that the character and nature of God would not be in conflict. So God could be who he is and we could still be his. But hear me, we must respond to the answer God's offered to us. We must respond to it. We must believe in our heart and we must confess with our mouth. We must put our faith in him. We must surrender our heart to his lordship. We must follow after him. The only response that brings grace is faith. John says it so clearly. The one who doesn't believe the wrath of God remains on him. But to those who call out to God, eternal life is theirs. So if we reject the work of the cross, cross, if we reject the love of Jesus, if we reject faith in him, then we stay in a place where the character of God can only give us one response separation for eternity but for any person for all people who will come to the foot of the cross and say I want the blood of your son I'm going to put my faith in Jesus to be my savior I'm going to confess him and receive him as Lord of my life and follow him to that person now the love of God can be applied because our sin is covered by the blood we are set free from the, from the judgment of God and brought into the grace of God. Good news for every man. So should we wear our crosses? Absolutely. 
Should we build them outside of our churches and hang them on our walls? Absolutely. Should we sing songs? Absolutely. But we need to remember, it's not the symbol of the cross that saves us. It's the work Jesus did on the cross that saves us. Will you stand with me today? Father, today there are those in this room who need to cross that line of faith. They need to believe in you, your son, to be their savior. They need to understand you're a holy God. And the only way for us to come before you is to come before you covered by the work of your son on the cross. And we need to surrender our heart to you to be our Lord. In Jesus' name. Today, as every head's bowed, every eye closed, you'll say, Pastor, as I stand here today, I, I need to cross that line of faith. I need to ask Christ into my heart as my Savior today. I need to believe in my heart. And I just, I'm just I'm, today, I want to cross that line of faith. If that's you, I just want you to raise your hand right now and say, Pastor, pray for me. God bless you others today. You'll raise your hand. God bless you others today. You'll raise your hand and say, Pastor, I, I want to invite Christ into my life as my Lord and Savior. God bless you. I see that hand. Others today. Anyone else? Today on this Palm Sunday, I want to make another part of this appeal today. So every head's bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. You've raised your hand, you've prayed this prayer as, as we're going to pray here in a moment. But you have never, ever publicly confessed Jesus as Savior. You've never stepped out and walked to an altar and asked him and, and said to the, the whole country, today, today I want everybody to know, I, I am a follower of Christ. I have put my faith in him. Today. I want to do that purely. We're not coming with anybody else. We're not praying for anybody else right now. We're inviting all of those of you who've raised your hand today or you've raised your hand in the past, but you've never publicly walked down an aisle and stood before a congregation and stood before the angels of heaven and the heavenly witnesses and said, today, I'm, I've surrendered my life to Christ. I want, everyone, I want the world to know. I I'm, I'm, want the world to know that what he's done for me, I put my faith in. I want to encourage you to confess today because my faith is in Jesus. And I want everyone to know it. Yes. Listen, I understand. I understand the battle that can go on within us. And I, I want to, there's some of you today, you, you raised your hand. And I, and I know that you feel a little intimidated. You feel, you know, a little unsure. What do you think Jesus, they tried to do to Jesus? Now, I, I just want to challenge you. Some of you, you've, you've raised your hand in the past, but you've never publicly proclaimed something. And I just want to deal with that mindset for a second here. I want you to think about this. Are you in or are you not? I want to just challenge you to say, you know what? I want my flesh to be submitted. I, I, want, I want to be a person who's led by the Spirit of God, 
not by the flesh, not by intimidation, not by fear. I want to be all in. And if you've never walked down an aisle and said, yeah, I'm all in. I'm, I'm, I'm a believer. I'm a believer. I want everybody to know it. If you've never done that, put your flesh, put your flesh down. We're going to end this service with this call. I mean, I don't, I don't know anyone more pure and holy than, than our loving God who would send his son to die for us. And, and I just want to make this appeal. There's not enough room for all of us to gather around this altar, but I'm going to ask you today, if you'll just say one more time, dedicate your spirit. God, here I am. I'm yours. I'm all yours. I'm all yours. I want to be yours, God, in every way. Just as a personal dedication to say, God, here I am. Here I am. Thank you for what you've done for me. Father, we have, we've done our best today to be true to your word. We've done our best today, Father, to sing about the works of your son. We're doing our best, Lord, to build a body of Christ, a body who does the work of your son with love and compassion, loving each other, and aware of our total dependence upon you and the work of your son. We want no pride, no arrogance in ourselves. We want to walk in the humility of the truth of who your son is for us and our total dependence upon him. So Lord, I pray you'd heal whatever's in us that's still of this world. Sweep it out of us, Lord. Father, let us, let us see the work of the cross and let the works of the flesh die there. Be swept away by the power of the blood. Let our words be different. Let our desires be different. Let our actions be different. Let us love one another, I pray. Let us love one another. And so, Lord, I just pray for this congregation today as we come down here around this altar one more time just to say, Lord, we're yours. Let us begin to see the world the way you'd have us to see it. Let's begin to see our places of work and our neighborhoods as you would have us to see it. Have us to be yours in every way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Grace and peace.